Just kind of reviewing with you in Hebrews, we've looked at Hebrews chapter 1 and 2 of where the Word of God tells us where to give more earnest heed to the things of God. He's bringing all this to an escalated point. Hebrews chapter 3, he speaks of the spiritual unity which we have with the Savior. And then when he comes into the end of chapter 3 up into chapter 5, he begins to explain uh, of the children of Israel how that there's their attitude or their lack of belief and faith in God to be brought into the promised land, uh, it was what did not allow them to have rest in the Lord. And so true rest, we talked about together, true rest that's found in God is rest that comes from having faith in him, not the saving faith. When you believe God by faith, you already have him in your heart, but it's faith living day by day, uh, not having a spirit of unbelief. And uh, he tells us then, in, in Paul, in Hebrews chapter 5, we've, talked, we've seen and looked together at the progressing Christian, one who is not dull of hearing, one who's moving beyond the elementary truths and seeking to grow in their Christian life. And then uh, before he really goes into a great explanation of uh, how do we progress and by, by whom do we gain this progression, uh, he explains in great detail of the priesthood of Jesus Christ. And Hebrews chapter 7, the Bible tells us of the man after the order of Melchizedek. You remember, uh, it's explained as the man after the order of Aaron, and then also the man after the order of Melchizedek. The uniqueness in Melchizedek is he was not a part of the line of Levi. He was not a part of the tribe of Levi. And yet, being a priest, he was also a king. And so we see in his likeness, we see Jesus Christ. And you remember in chapter 7, as we've seen that better priesthood, in chapter 8, we looked at the better covenant, the better promise. Those uh, shadows of the sacrifices are no longer necessary. They were only foreshadowings from the beginning. In Hebrews chapter 9, we looked at the better sanctuary. It's no longer the tabernacle or the temple that we go and, and, uh, and the priests would go into and, and only one time a year go beyond the veil. But now we have full access to God. We can come before the throne of grace with boldness, the Bible tells us, and coming before the very Savior and high priest and king himself, Jesus Christ, that new sanctuary, that better sanctuary, is heaven. And so then we come into Hebrews chapter 10, and this is where we looked at together uh, last week of that better sacrifice being Jesus Christ. And he goes into great description of talking about uh, that sacrifice. Um, notice how the Bible tells us in verse number 10, the Bible tells us that his sacrifice does not need to be repeated. Hebrews 10 and verse 10, by the which, uh, will we, uh, by the which will we are sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ, once for all, notice that once for all, and every priest standeth daily, ministering oftentimes the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. But this man, that being Jesus Christ, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down on the right hand of God. From henceforth, accepting uh, till his enemies be made his footstool, for by one offering, notice we've seen once for all, one sacrifice, one offering, he hath perfected forever them that are sanctified, whereof the Holy Ghost also is a witness to us. For after that he had said before, this is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, saith the Lord. I will put my laws into their heart and in their minds will I write them. And their sins and iniquities uh, will I remember no more. Now we're 
remission of these is, there is no more offering for sin. So the Bible tells us we now have the Holy Spirit, the Comforter has come, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 19. Having therefore, brethren, boldness to enter into the holiest by the blood of Jesus Christ. That holiest we would know to be also the holy of holies, that place beyond the veil that which only the priest himself could enter in Old Testament times, uh, and it was yet only entering once a year, that being the Holy of Holies, we are now given access beyond the veil. We now have an anytime access uh, before the very throne of grace, as I mentioned a moment ago. And so the Bible tells us, uh, having therefore this boldness, uh, he, he says in verse number 20, by a new and living way, by a new and living way, uh, from this point of the chapter uh, up to uh, really the last couple verses of this chapter, we see a broader description and a, uh, a walking through of what this new and living way is. And so that's what I want us to dive in some tonight, and we'll see how far we get as time would allow. Um, the Bible tells us, and we left off on this last week, God's sacrifice uh, yes, as I mentioned a moment ago, it does not need to be repeated, but we left off last time saying his sacrifice opens the way to God. And that is that boldness we talked about. That is that new and living way. Notice the Bible says that new and living way, which he co- hath consecrated. That word consecrated means to be perfected. He's already mentioned on more than one occasion the word perfection. Uh, in verse 14, he says, by one offering, he hath perfected forever. And if you were to, to study beyond these other chapters before, he mentions this perfection, which God's desire is to bring us to, that we would not hold to the elementary truths, but that we would grow and move beyond. And remember, we're almost in Hebrews 11. That theme is what? What's he, the theme of Hebrews 11? Faith. That's, that faith does not come out of anything other than the new and living way, the Christian life. The Bible says in Romans chapter 1 and verse, uh, in verse number 13, I believe it is, we live a life of faith to faith. We accept God by faith. We continue to live the Christian life through faith. And so he's describing now this new and living way. And uh, he says that uh, this is made possible by God's sacrifice. So because we have this boldness, because uh, we are uh, being led to this perfected life and, and through having Christ, what does the Bible tell us we must do? In verse 21, the Bible says, And having an high priest over the house of God, let us, here's the first thing, let us draw near to God. Let us draw near to God. I'll bring you to the kind of the three things that he highlights. Verse 23, he says, Let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering. And then in verse 24, he says it again, And let us consider one another. It's interesting, he uses the same, very same wording, let us do this, let us do this, because he's making it very clear, Christians, because we have this new and living way, because we have boldness, because we have confidence in Christ, we can live by faith, let us draw near to God. Here's the question, how do you draw to God? How do you approach God himself? In, in what uh, manner do you come before Christ? Um, we approach God not just in our personal time with the Lord, uh, but even also in our time uh, in his house, in the church itself. Uh, what are ways that we can not approach the Lord or not draw near to God as we should? Uh, sometimes they're the little things which we often maybe take for granted. How about, 
having the very, uh, God's very word in our lap and with us, being able to then follow by marking, reading, uh, and hopefully even memorizing beyond that, but having God's word in our lap, remembering to bring it to God's house. Let me tell you, it's, it's, I've seen it, especially uh, among young people, but even among adults. We can sit without a Bible in our hands. We can forget bringing our Bibles. We're in a very electronic age, I know, but uh, there's no sin and crime in having an electronic Bible. But uh, there's, there's a lot of strength in having a Bible with you to follow along. Uh, how can we ever expect to truly approach God in, in a way that is appropriate before him if we, in the very preaching of his word, we're not keeping uh, close tabs on what God would have for us? It's easy to receive a message and then walk out of here and hear nothing of it. It's another thing to receive a message and having followed along with, and hopefully you've marked and you're underlining and you've maybe even made notes on the margin of your Bible and, and then moving beyond. I was encouraged this week. Somebody messaged me and said, hey, I was going through my notes from Sunday and, and uh, God has encouraged me in this way. And, and these are the things that, that God has led me in and, and just wanted to let you know. And that was encouraging to me. But hey, beyond that, it's encouraging to them because now what they've done is they've taken a step further rather than just letting it be uh, a message, which is in and then out. OK, so the Bible tells us, let us draw near to God in an area of, of forgetting to bring our Bible or not having our Bibles. Uh, maybe even it's an area of not getting enough rest for the Lord's Day. Uh, this happens not just with young people, but also with adults. We work very hard throughout the week. We get our Saturdays and our Sundays mostly off, a little more reasonable. And sometimes we can push ourselves, even in our work schedule, so far beyond that by the time we hit Sunday, we're hardly rested to receive what God has for us. Uh, the Bible says, let us draw near to God. And how should we draw near to him? With preparation. We're bringing our Bibles. We're having our rest made. Uh, uh, even areas of prayer being made. Sometimes our prayers uh, in the prayers which we desire and would strive to have in unity can be everything but that uh, because our minds are elsewhere. In some cases, our conversations are elsewhere. Uh, we're, we're talking amongst in prayer time um, uh, or even in the areas of songs and our songs, which we sing before the Lord. Anytime we draw near to God and what way are we doing it? The Bible says, notice, let us draw near with a true heart. That is to say, with a genuine heart, with a genuineness. Do you as a Christian have a sincere and honest desire to come before God personally and publicly uh, with nothing more than worship and to receive what he has for you. Psalm 119 and verse 10, the Bible says, with my whole heart have I sought thee. Oh, let me not wander from thy commandments. So it should be a wholeheartedness desire and our drawing near before, before God, a genuine desire to receive. Uh, there is no uh, artificial um, you know, some, some people can be the most faithful uh, people in all the world, uh, but there's no genuine desire to receive uh, from God's word. Uh, that, doesn't, that doesn't mean that the person who only comes on occasion and is not uh, attending as faithfully as they should um, is exempt from not being faithful. We should still be faithful. At the end of the day, are we coming, when we come before the very presence of God, are we coming before him with a genuine heart's desire? Uh, even in our own personal uh, relationship with him, our devotional time, uh, coming, drawing near before God with a genuine desire, 
wholehearted desire to receive. We've cleared our mind. And by the way, when you spend time with God, you should begin with prayer. You begin with prayer. You ask the Lord to speak to my heart as I read your word. If you pick up God's word and you begin reading right away, I can promise you, your mind is going to start wandering. The phone's going to ring. Uh, If you've not prepared yourself, maybe you're even sitting in the recliner. You might even start falling asleep. Prepare yourself. You're coming before the very presence of God, that God would speak to you. Amen. And so it's placing ourselves in that position. Um, I I remember they used to tell us in college, you know, if you start falling asleep, um, just start uh, drawing your, your name in cursive with your foot. And that'll keep you awake. And uh, don't, don't try that now. But if, if, it, ever, if ever it happens, uh, that's, it actually does work. Um, just helping to keep your mind focused. And, and uh, it's preparing with a true heart. Uh, the Bible then says, not just with the true heart, but in full assurance of faith. Uh, this, this idea of salvation, it's the idea of being absolutely certain of something. Okay. In this case, we're absolutely certain of our salvation. And because we're certain or certain of the salvation, excuse me, salvation, which God has given to us. Now we can come before God with a confidence. Amen. And so we draw near to God with genuineness, with confidence. Number three, with purity. The Bible says, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts. That is that which is on the inside sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies, that which is on the outside, washed with pure water. Now, again, he's giving the, the comparison here with that of the sacrifices uh, in the Old Testament. It was done with blood and with water. But God's making a specific um, uh, analogy here for us to understand that there must be a pureness both on the inside and the outside of our life. Um, once again, the Bible, we're talking about drawing near to God. No matter what point in time you draw near to God, uh, get yourself in a readiness of mind. Um, as the Bible puts it, clothed and in your right mind. And the truth of the matter is, uh, even in your own home, when you are in a position, sitting up straight, focused on the word of God, maybe even having a, a notebook beside you, taking notes, uh, prayer beforehand to prepare yourself, all of these things, and, and you're examining your own life both on the outside in preparation. I've turned off my phone. I've placed, put myself into a room where I'm not distracted. I'm giving my focus. If it's for 10 minutes, if it's for 30 minutes, I'm giving my focus to God. This is God's time in purity. And then we're searching our inside, asking God, Lord, is there anything in me that would be holding me back from you speaking to me? So what we're talking about is in the very presence of God, whether you're reading, whether you're praying, whether you're in church, You're asking God, God, is there anything that I've done with my hands that is not pleasing to you? Anything I've got, anywhere I've gone with my feet that's not honoring to you? Anything that I've said with my mouth, anything on the outside? Then you say, Lord, is there any uh, bitterness within my heart? Lord, is there any uh, uh, um, thoughts within my mind that should not be there? And we're we're asking the Lord, we're preparing ourselves. I think if truth be told, uh, think, of, think of what our churches would be like if every person of their church, every member of their church really prepared themselves both inside and outside. Boy, our worship would change. Amen? Our worship would change. 
And so God says, let us draw near to God with a genuineness, with a confidence, and with purity. Notice the second thing here he tells us. Uh, we have this boldness of, that's been given to us in this perfected life. We can now come before Christ. God says, let us draw near to God. Number two, let us hold fast the profession of our faith. Let us hold fast the f- profession of our faith. That Those words hold fast mean to uh to hold back, to keep secure, to keep firm possession of, okay? I think of it on the idea of holding fast. You're on a roller coaster, okay? If you can ride a roller coaster and not hold on to anything, you're doing pretty good for yourself, okay? But it's usually those dips that suddenly your hands, uh, out of, uh, out of uh, just a natural reflex, you grab onto something because there's a sudden scare, a sudden stir. Uh, but you're holding fast to keep yourself firm, to keep yourself there, And God says, let us hold fast to the profession of our faith. That is, knowing that you are a Christian and knowing that you should be living by faith, do so, he says, without wavering. That word wavering means unmoved. Uh, There's there's no um, uh, shifting within it. I was moving and adjusting these chairs earlier this evening, and some of the chairs have a slight bend in some of the legs, and uh, so they wobble a little bit more. Uh, I've been there. Maybe you're sitting in one now. I don't know. I tried to filter them out, but, uh, uh, but it's a, a wavering chair. It's not firm. It doesn't stand firm on, on its four legs, and so we think spiritually there should be a without wavering. There's no shifting. There's no moving. There's no unsettledness. Now, he's bringing us to a point here. Remember, Hebrews 11, the whole central focus of the book of Hebrews in itself, he's bringing us to the point of faith. And he talked about the lack of faith in Hebrews chapter 4, the unrest which they did, the children of Israel did not have. They could not go to the promised land. And so uh, he's coming to this point of letting us hold fast profession of our faith. We have no reason to waver. Amen. We have full confidence. We have our great high priest, our savior, Jesus Christ, our king also that we can come to at any time. And the Bible tells us that wonderful phrase at the end of the verse, verse 23, there in parentheses, for he is faithful, that promise. We serve a faithful God, amen? Because God is faithful to us, so we should be faithful to him. We're faithful in God's house. We're faithful in our Bible reading. We're faithful in our prayer time. Uh, We're faithful uh, to the Lord out of not just outside with our two feet, but also genuine desire on the inside, purity on the inside, confidence on the inside. It's an outside and inside confidence. It's a holding fast without wavering. Notice the third thing. He says, um, let us, verse 24, consider one another. Let us consider one another. Uh, Considering the relationship that is you have with other Christians. He's not speaking to the non-Christian. He's talking to the Christians themselves. Let us consider each other. Let's think about one another. Let's not just think about ourselves. The faith life, uh, the Christian life is, uh, as you maybe have heard, the, uh, heard it said, Jesus and others and you, that produces joy. You put Christ first. You think of others next and then yourself. But may I say, oftentimes, uh, we are more of a JY Christian than we are a JOY Christian. Uh, we find ourselves discouraged and, and uh, uh, with wavering faith because we put ourselves, if not before God, before others. He says, let us draw near to God, but then let's also think of others. And not just, uh, and don't misunderstand me when I say this, but we're not just talking about the gospel here. Okay? Yes, the gospel is for all people. Yes, we should be giving the gospel to the unsaved. 
But may I say, sometimes Christians can be so gospel-focused that we forget other Christians. Amen? God says, let us consider one another. Let's think of each other. And you know, the worst thing about COVID-19 is it's causing Christians themselves to stop thinking of each other. And not because maybe at first they don't care, it's causing them to forget. Because uh, we're keeping this separation, this social distancing, this, this lack of seeing one another. And, and some of it's not by choice. But my point is, God says, we draw near to God, here's how we should do it. We're to hold fast to our faith uh, without wavering. And then he says, we are to consider one another. Notice verse 24 continues, consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works. So uh, it's the very idea of provoking, we're causing to, we are encouraging others in Christ. How? Through love and good works. Unfortunately, sometimes the Christian life, good works and love towards other Christians uh, predominantly happens during Thanksgiving and during Christmas time. But love and good works is how we encourage one another. Amen. Loving others in Christ is a sacrificial kind of love. Loving others in Christ is not talking about them behind their back. Loving others in Christ is saying, hey, you sit up on the edge of the pew. I'll move down to the end. <laughs> Loving others in Christ is saying, hey, I'm thinking of you first. I'm going to open the door for you. All these little things that oftentimes we can take for granted. Amen. And I know I'm, I, I, the truth of the matter is my generation probably struggles with those things, maybe even more than uh, some of the older generation. You say that we were taught those things. But at the end of the day, we can forget these things and on different aspects of it. It may not – you may have uh, proper etiquette at the table but have terrible manners when you're in church. <laughs> uh, it, it, it depends on what aspect it may be. You're going to know in what part and what area of your life that you maybe could be considering others more. Uh, it's, it's the little things. Uh, we talk about love, but the good works, uh, the thoughtful things. Um, sometimes uh, words written on paper with not any intention but to display an act of love are better given on words even than, than they are in person. Uh, and, 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 you know, God gives us gifts in different unique ways. Sometimes we're not ones, you may not be a person who's able to approach somebody and just talk to them without stuttering or losing your thoughts. And so maybe it would be that your displaying of love and good works would be in that form of writing. Uh, maybe it would be just the opposite. Uh, you're, we're not just talking about giving gifts. It's simply putting the needs of others first. If, if, uh, you know, it's like we, I was often told when I was a kid, if, if you wouldn't, someone else, if you didn't want someone else to treat you one way, don't treat them that way also. And, uh, sometimes, um, a lot of times that needs to be told to the adults just the same, uh, cause, uh, we can, we can be guilty of just that. Let us consider one another D doing good to other Christians, provoking, one another to love and good works. We're doing in order and so that it will then produce love and good works, not for something for us in return, but so that those others, those other Christians, will do the same to each other. The Bible tells us in 1 Corinthians, we're comforted by the comforter who comforteth us. So as we're comforted by Christ through faith, having boldness to enter into the throne of grace, the high priest and the king, so we must also comfort others in love and in, and in good works. Notice the second thing he tells us in verse 25, not just doing good to other Christians, but unifying 
with other Christians, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is. That word forsaking means to abandon. The word assembling means to gather together, uh, the gathering together of believers. And so God says, don't abandon your fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. If there's any people that you should be showing love and good works, that you should be going before the very throne of grace with, it should be your fellow Christians. And may I say, I mentioned this before, but the greatest thing we all have in common with one another as Christians is our faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And so we must, as a unified body of believers, move forward to live by faith. We have that new and living way, amen? We have that Christian life which has been given to us, and so we're moving together by faith, Trust in the Lord, not, uh, not lack of faith, uh, not doubting, uh, but we're trusting God within it. Uh, when, when one falls, we fall down together. When one stands up, we stand up together. We're a unified body. Uh, the Bible tells us um, not forsaking, not forsaking. The unfortunate thing is, is, is uh, we can easily forsake the assembly of God. And by the way, unity doesn't just uh, come from uh, the, the, uh, the doing of things uh, together as far as actions and good works and love. But in the ministry of God, sometimes it's just simply being faithful to the ministry. Uh, I'm talking probably even more so to some of the younger generation, but hey, you should be faithful to God's house. And not just because God tells us to be, but also for the sake of the brethren, assembling together, not forsaking. Um, it's, it's, it's unfortunate uh, that the Sunday evening services and the Wednesday evening services have fallen away. Uh, let me tell you, you, you younger guys, I know you're around my age. You've got three or four of you guys, six of you, seven of you here, okay? Hey, you should be encouraging the others. We've got plenty of them. We've got the same number, if not more than that, in our church that are also your age. Encourage them. Love and good works, not forsaking. Encourage them to be faithful. Why? For you? No, not for you. Jesus, others, and you, you're doing it for the sake of the brethren, the Bible tells us we're in coming into unity with one another. We're not abandoning each other. We're saying, uh, hey, uh, Seth, come, come back to church. You've fallen away. We're saying, hey, Jason, hey, we, we, we have this special event going on in our church. Come be a part of it. Uh, you're saying, hey, uh, Mr. Crosby, I missed you on Wednesday night. Is everything okay? It's not a desire to gossip. It's not a desire to say, where were you at? It's a desire to say, hey, I love you in Christ. Hey, is there something you need? Is there some way I can help you? Is there something that's, that's missing that I can help to fulfill uh, that need? And so uh, we're thinking of others in this way and this being what draws us together. The Bible says, let us consider one another in good works and unity with other Christians. Number three, encouraging other Christians. And I mentioned this already in the area of encouraging by actions, but notice how he specifies at the end of verse 25, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, that being some do, but exhorting one another, and so much the more as ye see the day approaching. Now, what is that day that's approaching? It's the coming of Christ. It's the return of Christ himself. First Thessalonians chapter five, the Bible says, the day of the Lord is at hand. We know perfectly that the day of the Lord is at hand. So in knowing that the day of the Lord is at hand, that should so prompt you and I more to go out and love others in Christ, to do good work towards others, to be unified together, not forsaking the assembly of God, 
because we don't have forever on this earth. Amen. We, we have only but a limited time of opportunity to make a difference in others' lives. And so uh, in what time that we do have, let us draw near to God, the Bible tells us. Let us, as Christians, consider one another and let us uh, hold fast the profession of our faith. And look at what verse number 26 says. Let us keep from deliberate sins. The Bible says in verse 26, for if we sin willfully, not a word you often hear uh, too much, willfully, after that we have received the knowledge of the truth, there remaineth no more sacrifice for sins. Uh, I, I was doing, as I was doing my studying, um, uh, one commentator put it this way, the believer, we see in Hebrews chapter two that the believer can begin to drift from God's word. In Hebrews chapter three, we can see the believer can begin to doubt God's word. And it is then that we see in chapter five and chapter six, we can become dull toward the hearing of God's word. And, and now we see we can begin to despise God's word. And this is in verse 26. If we sin willfully, many Christians knowing what is wrong, but yet doing it anyway. This is sinning willfully. You know that's not right, but you're choosing to do it anyway. What's going to keep us from drawing near to God, from considering others, uh, from keeping our faith in Christ? It's sinning willfully. It's knowing what is sin, but yet choosing to do it. Knowing what is wrong, but yet doing it anyway. And, and, and then, uh, and, and, and here, here's the thing, is they're all so connected with one another. You can't have sin in your life and expect to draw near to God with a true heart. You can't have sin in your life and expect to have true faith in Christ. You can't have sin in your life and expect to consider others first because with the sin in your life, you're now, you've now, through pride of thinking only about yourself, you've now allowed it to so uh, fill you on the inside. In some cases, it's showing on the outside and none of those things can then become possible. You understand that even in the Old Testament, when sacrifices were given and were laid upon the altar, there was a preparation process. And so this is the comparison that's being made. He's saying, Christian, as we've received this new and living way, we now have boldness to enter to the very throne of grace and even greater opportunity than was ever had in the Old Testament. And with this opportunity, knowing that Christ is coming back and that he will return, are you keeping from deliberately sinning against God? You've heard Bob Jones, Dr. Bob Jones used to say, do right till the stars fall. Do right, do right. He's seen that song. Uh, is, is that our desire to do right? James chapter one, verse 23 through 25, the Bible says, for if any be a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is likened to a man beholding his natural face in a glass. For he beholdeth himself and goeth his way and straightway forgetteth what manner of man he was. For whoso looketh, listen to this, for whoso looketh into the perfect law of liberty and continueth therein, he being not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this man shall be blessed in his deeds. So we're talking about the doer, the knowing has heard, and then the doer of, of what God tells us to do. In verse 27, he gives an explanation of this deliberate sin. The Bible says in verse 27, but a certain fearful uh, looking for a judgment and fiery indignation which shall devour the adversaries. Now, I did not mention this a moment ago, but verse 26 tells us uh, there remaineth no more sacrifice for sins. 
Remember the Bible tells us in the, the book of Matthew, if you are going to bring any gift to God, anything to God, and your heart's not right, what are you to do with that gift? Leave it. No sacrifice, no giving to God is acceptable before him. If you've got anything that's not made right you, you, with Christ, you've got to make that right first and then bring your sacrifice. And that's what the Bible's telling us here. There remaineth no sacrifice for sins if you're deliberately sinning against Christ, if you're despising the very words of God, if you could care less about being a hearer and the doer of God's word. And so he gives this explanation of the deliberate sins. And, and, and in Exodus chapter 21, why don't you turn there with me, keeping your finger in Hebrews. Exodus chapter 21, and looking in verse number 12. Exodus 21 and verse 12. And the clock is working against me, but uh, Exodus 21, in verse number 12, the Bible says, He that smiteth a man so that he die shall be surely put to death. And if a man lie not in wait, but God deliver him into his hand, then I will appoint thee a place whither he shall flee. The Bible tells us that under the covenant, that is the law and the, 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 the Ten Commandments, the sacrifices that were made, under the covenant, there were no sacrifices for the deliberate and the willful, will, uh, the willful sins, the uh, straightforward sins. There were no sacrifices that could be made. In fact, God would so punish immediately. There was a putting to of death if someone so desired to sin. You remember, um, uh, think of Achan, for instance, and his sin against God. And it was not uh, that um, the children of Israel were murdering them. That was God's punishment towards them. That was God's order of things of that time. And um, uh, think of the context here in the book of Hebrews. He's talking to the Jews, the Jewish believers, they knowing the law, they, some of them still holding to it uh, as necessary for salvation and not seeing that it was only a foreshadowing. Paul's saying these things are no longer, but the thing that is the same that can be understood is the judgment of God. God may not kill today, as some cases God does end a person's life on a deliberate sin. God may not kill an individual outright, if you want to put it that way, or allow them to die or judge them for their sins. Uh, but the Bible tells us that he will, he will deal with their sins. In Psalm 51, in verse number 16 and 17, David says, For thou desirest not sacrifice, else would I give it. Thou delightest not in burnt offerings. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart. O God, thou wilt not despise. So what God looks for in the Christian is not one who's so willingly, willfully giving themselves into sin, but one that uh, would come before him with a broken and contrite heart, Psalm 51, 16 and 17, and one that would not despise God's word. James 4, in verse number 17, we know the verse, therefore to him that knoweth to do good and doeth it not, to him it is what? Sin. The Bible tells us this explanation of deliberate sins, it is dealt with by God. And he gives in verse 28 a yet further example of this deliberate sin. Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 28, the Bible says, he that despised Moses' law. Now he's saying, uh, again, the explanation, they despise. So the Christian can also despise God's law, God's order, God's ruling, uh, his King, uh, his kingship and his priesthood, you can despise that by willfully sinning. So he gives us an example. He that despised Moses' law, 
died without mercy under two or three witnesses. Of how much sorer punishment suppose ye shall he be thought worthy who hath trodden underfoot the Son of God and hath counted the blood of the covenant wherewith he has sanctified and holy an unholy thing and hath done despite unto the spirit of grace. And so the Bible tells us that the children of Israel, though saved by the blood of the lamb in Egypt, okay, you remember the, uh, that 10th plague, the blood that was shed of that lamb, they were given that freedom, yet because of their unbelief, as we saw in Hebrews 4, it was described as rest. They could not find rest, but here in this passage, the Bible is pretty much saying uh, they died, <laughs> They didn't just not make it into the promised land. God allowed them to die. They did not receive that promised inheritance. Let me say, God can never bless the Christian who so willfully allows himself to be involved in a sin. Be careful what you allow through your eye gate, through your ear gate. Be careful what you allow to come out of your mouth. Uh, be careful what you allow, where you allow your feet to go. The Bible's giving us that understanding. If you're drawing near to God, if you're uh, preparing your own heart by faith, if you're thinking of others, it cannot involve sin. And so he gives this example. He says, God may not put, punish you to the point of death, but he will deal with you. That's why he says in verse 30 about this punishment against the deliberate sin. He says, for we know him that has said, vengeance belongeth unto me. I will recompense, saith the Lord. And again, the Lord shall judge the ones who are not his people. Is that what it says? No, the Lord shall judge his people. You say, wait a minute, I'm not going to go to hell. I'm a Christian. Yes, you may not receive punishment in eternal hell, but God, the Bible says, vengeance is mine. God will always deal with the Christian who allows himself to willfully give into sin. And so that's why he continues into verse 31 saying, it is a fearful thing. What an interesting verse. It is a fearful thing, verse 31, to fall into the hands of the living God. God forbid that we should allow ourselves to be in the judgmental hands of God. May I remind you, God is a righteous judge. He's not a, he's not a God who, uh, is, who has an uncontrolled anger, but he's righteous in the sense that he will afflict judgment within his long-suffering love. And praise the Lord for his long-suffering second chances. Amen. Even when we do willfully sin, God gives us the opportunity to come to him for forgiveness. But it is when we come to the point of, as Romans 1 describes it, a reprobate mind, a unwillingness to turn to God, a so deliberately sinning against Christ. It is then that the Christian must understand God will judge. God will judge. Um, in 2 Samuel 12 and verse 9 David is described to have despised the commandment of the Lord. And this is the very idea that is being brought out here. To disobey is to despise the very commands of God. I'm going to just give you here the next uh, point, and then we'll continue here next week. The Bible tells us the fifth thing in this coming into the fifth or the 11th chapter. He tells us uh, to have faith and patience in God. In this new and living way, which we've been given to by Christ, the Bible tells us we are to draw near to God in genuineness, confidence, and purity. We are to hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering. We're to consider one another, uh, that is, other Christians. The Bible tells us we're to keep from deliberate sins, keep from outrightly sinning. And then he brings us to this escalated point. We are to have 
faith and patience in God. And just look at the beginning of these verses in verse 35. We'll look at verse 32 next week, but verse 35 kind of gives us that context. It says, cast not away, therefore, your confidence, that's faith, which hath great recompense of reward. God will reward and bless those who have faith. Or ye have need of patience, that after ye have done the will of God, ye might receive the promise. So we see confidence in verse 35, patience in verse 36. And God says, this is the secret to the victory in the Christian life. It's having faith in God. You cannot truly have patience without having faith. You can't truly have faith without having patience. You're trusting in God day by day, not knowing the answers. We know Hebrews chapter 11 in verse number one. Now faith is a substance of things hoped for, the evidence of what? Things not seen. And we're trusting God even when we don't see the answers. And as we live in faith, how do we do that? We draw near to God. We live by faith. We consider others and we keep ourselves from sin.